there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one holy page of Talmud every day. And do you like the show? I hope you do. And if you do, you should know we at Tablet Studios have a lot of other rockin' Jewish podcasts for you to enjoy. So stick around after the credits and find out a bit more about all these great shows and how you could support them and us. And in today's pages, to both 58 and 59, we come across one of those thorny passages that after so many days of talking about love and marriage, you know, frankly, we could use a little hard-edgedness. Have a listen. The Gemara asks, does Rabbi Meir hold that a person may not consecrate an object that has not yet come into the world? Isn't it taught in a Baraita that if a Gentile says to a woman, you are hereby betrothed to me after I convert, or if she was a Gentile and he said to her, you are hereby betrothed to me after you convert, or if he was a slave and said to her after I'm emancipated, or if she was a maidservant and he said to her after you are emancipated, or if she was married and he said to her after your husband dies, or if he was married to her sister and he said after your sister dies, as at that point the betrothal could take effect. Or if she was a widow waiting for her yavam, and he said to her, after your yavam performs chalitza with you, Rabbi Meir says, if any of these cases occurred, she is betrothed. Apparently, Rabbi Meir maintains that betrothal can take effect even on something that has not yet come into being. I'm sorry, back to the future, but this is one of the greatest philosophical meditations I've seen on the power of what if. And who better? Really, who else? Really, who else can help us unlock such metaphysical existential questions than the one and only our doc, the doc to our Michael J. Fox, Rabbi David Bashevkin. Welcome back. Liel, what an absolute joy. And this is such a fascinating passage, which discusses the ability to consecrate or to acquire something that has not yet come into the world. Let's say somebody is not yet Jewish and they want to affect a marriage after they become Jewish. Let's say somebody wants to acquire something that does not yet exist and has not yet been created. This is a Talmudic dispute that really threads its way throughout the entire Talmud. The question of can you be, in the language of the Talmud, can you be makdish davar shalobala olam? Can you sanctify or can you acquire something that has not yet come into the world? And what I find so fascinating about this passage is a medieval question that was actually posed not about the Talmud, but about one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Now, again, it's a Talmudic dispute about whether or not you can acquire or sanctify something that has not yet come into the world. Generally, we assume that you cannot, you cannot sanctify something that does not yet exist. So the question that was posed in the responsa of the Rivush of Yitzchak ben Sheshes, which was a medieval scholar, is absolutely fascinating. And it has to do with one of the most formative, dare I say the most formative, still contentious stories in the entire Torah. And it is the story that is told in the book of Genesis in the 25th chapter that begins more or less in the 30th verse, where Esav, the brother of Yaakov, the third of the forefathers, Esav, his older brother, comes in, and as all brotherly drama begins, Esav 
is hungry. He is very hungry and he wants something to eat. I, I still see this with my own children. I'm sure you've had this. Somebody comes in. We'd always have this with my siblings when we'd order from an ice cream truck. There would be a competition. Who can eat it the slowest? So that way <laughs> you have the ice cream left over that everyone else is salivating over. So Asaph walks in and he is hungry. And he looks at Yaakov and Yaakov is eating a delicious lentil soup. And he says to Yaakov, I would like some of your soup, please. Can you please give me some of it? Now, Yaakov, in the great history of Jewish negotiation, says, let's make a deal. Let's figure this out. So Yaakov says, I will give you my soup, but I want your birthright. I want your birthright, that you are the firstborn. You are the carrier of the legacy of the forefathers that goes back to Abraham. You're the firstborn son. I am the younger brother. I would like your birthright. And Yaakov asks for the birthright, and Asav responds in the 32nd verse of the 25th chapter of the book of Genesis. Vayomer Asav, Asav responds. I'll read it in Hebrew, and then I'll translate. Hine anochi holech lamas. I am going to die anyways. Why do I need this firstborn right? What's it going to do for me? This is maybe in the future for my children. My father is still alive. This birthright has not yet come into existence. And when I die and when it's effectuated for my children, I'm not going to be here anymore. So let's make a deal. I'll have the lentil soup and you will become the carrier of the legacy of your grandfather, Abraham and really the founder of the nation of the Jewish people. And the question that was posed to the Rivash derives from the passage of Talmud that we read. Now, I'll be honest with you. You have to familiarize yourself with some of the, I would almost say, creative, interpretive, playful ways that medieval scholars read the Torah, where they superimposed Talmudic conversations onto the stories that we read in the Torah. That's really a separate conversation, but I happen to think it's one of the most fascinating things. It's the collapsing of time that happens in Midrash, where we take later Talmudic conversations and we say, how would this have played out in those biblical times? It, in a way, is part of the beauty of the Jewish tradition that collapses all of the legacies of of ideas and development into the present moment that we are at now and says, how does this apply? How is it relevant in my present moment? And how is the present moment, how would it be relevant in the past? And the question that was posed is, how was this sale possible? We just learned in this passage of Talmud that you cannot acquire, you cannot sanctify something that has not yet come into existence. And over here, we have this seminal foundational sale of the birthright of the Jewish people passing from Esav to Yaakov. It did not yet come into existence. It was not yet effectuated. Yitzchak was still alive, Yaakov's father, who owned the birthright at that time. And Esav himself acknowledges that the, it really only effectuates after his death. So how is this sale even legal? Now, a lot of different Talmud scholars give different answers, but I found one answer to be so beautiful and so moving. How was it that Yaakov was able to acquire the birthright of the Jewish people, 
even though it was something that ostensibly, from a distance it seems, did not yet come into existence, because in the eyes of Yaakov, and maybe the very reason why he was entitled to this birthright, is because Jewish life and Jewish commitment is not something that is manifest in the afterlife. It is not something that we suffer in this world from and only finally acquire in the next world, but in fact, Jewish life, our relationships, our commitments, our spirituality, and our inner interior religious life is actually something that is, in fact, already manifest in this world. It reminds me of a beautiful story that the found, not the founding, but the rabbi of my childhood, Rabbi Walter Wurzberger, who was a great scholar and an ethicist, he wrote a book, God is Proof Enough, and he opens up the book with a beautiful story where somebody is coming to convert. They want to convert to Judaism. And the rabbi, as is the custom, very often he pushes him away. We don't proselytize. Don't worry about it. You can be a righteous Gentile. You can live a great life in this world. And in the next world, you will very much partake in the afterlife and in the world to come. And he looked at the rabbi, this Gentile who was looking to convert, and he says, I don't want to wait until after I die in order to experience the world to come. I want to experience it right here and now. And in many ways, that's how Yaakov looked at this birthright. This wasn't a Davar Shalobala Olam. It wasn't a birthright that had not yet come into existence. It was a birthright that would transform his life in the here and now. The commitments, the relationships that Jewish life engenders and cultivates is not something that we suffer through in our lives only to reap the benefits in the afterlife. It is something that changes and transforms our life within our lifetime. It is a Davar. It is something that has already Bala Olam that is manifest and palpable in this world. Rabbi Beshevkin, I, as I always am after listening to you, am so moved and so grateful. Thank you so much for being our guest. My absolute pleasure. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay and Quinn Waller. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Mark Oppenheimer, Sarah Fredman-Ader, Robert Scaramuccia, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic and we will see you again soon.